On a clear spring day in 1995, a large, imposing, middle-aged man robbed two Pittsburgh banks in broad daylight. He didn't wear a mask or any sort of disguise, and he smiled at surveillance cameras before walking out of each bank. Later that night, police arrested a surprised MacArthur McWheeler. When they showed him the surveillance tapes, McWheeler stared in disbelief. But I wore the juice, he mumbled. Apparently, Wheeler thought that rubbing lemon juice on his skin would render him invisible to videotape cameras. <laughs> After all, lemon juice is used as an invisible ink, so as long as he didn't come near a heat source, he should have been completely invisible. Now, police concluded that Wheeler was not crazy or on drugs, just incredibly mistaken. The saga caught the eye of the psychologist David Dunning at Cornell University, who enlisted his graduate student, Justin Kruger, to see what was going on. They reasoned that, while almost everyone holds favorable views of their own abilities in various situations or areas, some people mistakenly assess their abilities as being much higher than they actually are. This illusion of confidence is now called the Dunning-Kruger effect and describes the bias to inflate our self-evaluation or our own ability, or you might say our own greatness, without or in spite of evidence to the contrary. And while it may be tempting to slap this label on outrageously thick-headed people, when Dunning and Kruger published their work, they cautioned that the first place to look for someone susceptible to the bias of self-inflation is in the mirror. I certainly don't want to give you the impression that I'm concerned that anyone presented here today is woefully ignorant of their own ignorance. But what was surprising about the research that Dunning and Kruger compiled was that often even above-average students are also unaware of their intellectual gifts. There are blind spots in our own self-assessment all over the scale of competence and intelligence. When the disciples raised the question of greatness in our gospel reading for the day, it appears that an inflated preoccupation with being great is not just a modern phenomenon. Who is the greatest? Who has the best ability to be the disciple of Jesus? How can we tell? Well, the disciples are in the middle of their own saga of being incredibly mistaken. Our reading from the Gospel of Luke is the second time. The second time the disciples are caught by Jesus arguing about who is the greatest. The first time Jesus will place a child in the middle of them and say, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like a child. But they didn't take that feedback from Jesus so well. So here they are in the middle of what will be known as the Last Supper, and they bring up that same old argument about who's the most qualified. Who's the most gifted, the greatest among the followers of Jesus? They are so confident in their own ability to rise in leadership. They are so ready to handle the glory. But this narrative takes an unexpected turn to tragedy. 
And these same disciples will lose courage and be scattered in the night, abandoning Jesus who they had just sworn to follow even to death. They sorely overestimated themselves and misunderstood what the kingdom of God looked like. But before we judge the disciples too harshly, maybe we should take a moment to look in the mirror. Just like them, we can miss the mark and so sorely overestimate our own ability to walk the road of discipleship. Heaven knows we can all get it terribly wrong sometimes. And in the middle of the struggle to be a good disciple, we can be tempted to build a case for our own goodness, for our own better-than-average skills and gifts. In fact, most of us believe we are better than average in some area. Dunning and Kruger say that over 80% of drivers believe that they are better than average, but that's statistically impossible. <laughs> or maybe, maybe we just like to think of ourselves as really great cooks. I, I'm a great cook despite the number of dishes that I have burned. But I know there is something in us. I mean, don't we all want to live or imagine that we live in a place where all the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average? And especially here that our liturgy is the best in the world, the greatest. Well, The Dunning-Kruger effect may haunt us all in some way. There is hope for us. What can interrupt this endless chatter of the ego in the back of our minds? What can call into check that desire to be recognized as great that can so easily get out of hand? If the possibilities of being as humble and open as a child are beyond the scope of the disciples' imagination, Jesus offers them and us, another description, the image of a servant, the person in the room least likely to be recognized as great in the public eye. We can imagine what this metaphor of a servant means in many ways, but I imagine the servant of Jesus as a person whose movements are filled with grace, who has the wisdom to know that love, love is the strength to serve, The servant looks like the image of God in Christ. And I've had the privilege of seeing this image in the people who are gathered here today. This servant metaphor is a gift for all Christians. It's part of our calling to follow Christ, part of our baptismal covenant, and at the heart of of how we imagine discipleship. But in the choice of readings for this occasion, it is as if someone has taken the picture of a servant and to expand our imaginations, scribbled the word deacon as a subtitle to this piece. In the Episcopal Church, anyone who steps forward and is recognized by the community of faith with their gifts and particular skills to serve the needs of the body is first ordained and designated as a deacon. This remains a part of who they will always be called to be in the church as clergy. This odd tradition highlights the heart of servanthood in all leadership. Whether or not clergy add the subtitle of priest or bishop, there will always remain the designation, the reminder of the deacon as an essential part of who they are, a servant, an icon of humble leadership in the kingdom of God. 
This designation of deacon does not only serve the self-understanding of clergy, but it's for the whole body of Christ. Anyone who walks the path of Christian discipleship must reckon with this charge and challenge to be a servant. We have in the body of Christ the good fortune and blessing to see over and over again in many people this icon of servanthood fleshed out in a myriad of shapes and occasions in human life. In the particular designation of deacon, we have a servant who calls others to help with God's good work and to show us what is needed by the world. For it's in the work, the work of the fields outside these doors that brings a fullness to the meaning of this table. Today, in the lives of Billy, Melinda, and Bob, presented as graduates of the Iona program, and of Lisa, Linda, and Keith as deacons to be ordained in the church, we are given yet another beautiful example of servants who movements, whose movements are filled with grace and that have the wisdom that love is the strength to serve without the trappings of power or greatness. But there's one more consideration in this picture of a servant. For although we are all in that picture, we are not the authors of this work. With great faith and hope, we can look to the Spirit of God to compose this work of art, of grace, out of the particular colors of our lives. With our hearts open to the Holy Spirit, we have access to a greater power than the Dunning-Kruger effect or even the pull of our own egos. When in a few minutes the bishop lays his hands upon the deacons presented today, he will pray that through Jesus Christ that you will be given the Holy Spirit to fill you with the grace and the power that you will need to make you into a deacon, to make you modest and humble, strong and constant, radiating the knowledge and love of God. Billy, Linda, Lisa, Bob, and Keith, with great joy and appreciation, we anticipate your ministry among us here in Arkansas. It is with great hope in the beauty of your minds to think creatively and theologically, in the depth of your compassion for neighbors and the strength of your commitment to serve, that I remain confident that when you open up yourself to the gift of the Holy Spirit, that she will enable you to live your baptismal vows and your diaconate vows with integrity and with truth. So be the servants of God that you are called to be and who God equips you to be. Be vessels of God's love in the world, bearers of God's peace, and channels of God's compassion to all that you meet. And no worries, you will be great. <laughs>